Hello and welcome to Everyone's Special and No One Is, a podcast about obscure, misunderstood, and or controversial topics related to music and, for this month, also pride. My name is Martin Giselle and my pronouns are he, him. And today on the podcast, we have my lovely friend John Lepic, who is an author and editor based in Duluth, Minnesota. So welcome, John. How are you feeling? Hello, everybody. I'm doing pretty well. I've had a nice day. I just got off a a nice day of working with horses yesterday, actually. What? What were you doing with horses? That's amazing. Oh, I'm working with a carriage ride company. Oh, right, right. You're giving carriage rides. That's that's amazing. That's so fun. That's right. Aw. That is, as far as I know, unrelated to my sexuality, which... Uh, was the reason I was uh, brought on to talk today. <laughs> well, you don't have to start talking about your sexuality. I think let's let's let the listeners get to know you a little bit as just a general human being first before we jump to that, if that's all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And hey, working with horses is part of my life as a as a general human being, so I think that fits just fine. That's true. Yeah. How long have you been doing the carriage rides now? Uh, a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a big part of your life for one week. Um, it, is a, it is a major part of my life, yes. I think. <laughs> yeah. for, for this and what a week it's been. Yeah. Aww. Have you gotten any crazy customers in that one week? Uh, everybody has been really chill, you know? Uh, it's, uh, it's a really nice place to work. Uh, as long as you don't mind, uh, you know, scooping up horse poop now and then. Yep. Yep, I've been there. I've definitely been there, scooping up yep. that horse poop. That, um, is, that is definitely a central component to working with horses. Yes. So, yes. 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 Um, yeah. So, uh, you are an author. You're an editor. You've been running a D&D campaign these are all really cool things, and I'd definitely like to dive into some of them. Absolutely. So I've always been sort of a, a writing type. I think since I was in middle school, I had like a, a thing called Banana Weekly News. It was kind of like The Onion, where it's a satirical newspaper. Um, of course, this was middle school, so looking back, it wasn't particularly good compared to The Onion. <laughs> But I still think I, I had a fun time with it. Um, since then, I've started writing. This is my second novel. Not that I finished the first. I just started a second. And I'm probably going to be starting a third because I've been talking with a friend about collaboration. Um, writing is my passion, not finishing things, it seems. Um, but at the moment, my writing has been centered around surrealism and sort of letting the emotions just spill out onto the page and then you're left with a giant mess. And since I'm also an editor, I'm pretty good at cleaning up uh, garbage writing and making it good. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And also, uh, around the same time as Banana Weekly, I believe you were writing comic books? Uh, that was that was way before. Oh, oh, th- this way is, before Banana Weekly. This is a good point. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if the people on your podcast know, but uh, we are very old friends. Yes. Going back to preschool, I believe. Oh yes. And we used to write comic books together. So that would have been my very first experience with writing. Yeah. Other than actually, other than haikus, but that's not. <sighs> Yeah, so uh you were the you were the person who got me into like creating things in general cuz I had never created anything until I started uh with you writing comic books. You just kind of like brought the idea to me. You're like, "Look, we can just take these blank sheets of paper and then make a story on them." And I was like, "That sounds so much fun. Let's do it." <laughs> um Yeah. So. I actually still have all of those comic books in a uh, in a box. <gasps> That's amazing. You never yeah, let so go of those. Absolutely not. 
Yeah. Those... Uh, I've been thinking about digitizing them sometime. Yeah, get get those scanned, get 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 them stored on multiple backup drives, save the originals somewhere in like a fireproof box. You got to <laughs> Those Absolutely. Yeah, th- those um, those memories will never yeah. I also remember you having a very distinctive style. Of course, I I had a distinctive style too when writing comics, but you had a habit of cutting pictures out and uh, pasting them onto the page and using those for some of the illustrations. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm specifically thinking of mini skateboard right now when you cut out pictures from a magazine of a little <laughs> tech deck skateboard and stuck them onto the page, and those were the illustrations. Oh, yes. I loved cut-and-paste artwork contributing to the production value of my really sloppy comic books from second grade. (laughs) Yeah. And then my style had more to do with uh, stick figures and then different styles of cape, depending on which hero it was. Because I did a lot of work with superheroes, and I don't think I had a ton of difference between Bob and Tom. They were kind of the same person. (laughs) Uh, but I did. I did have a large roster of characters to work with. Bob and Tom, <laughs> and my characters were like, uh, evil Barney and evil Dora, and Mini Skateboard. Oh my gosh, this is so nostalgic. <laughs> and then my my villains were evil nerds a lot of the time. Evil nerds. And That's I don't great. think. I don't think at the time I had a solid meaning of what a nerd was. Just it was, I guess, sort of this nebulous guy that's smart but kind of evil, I guess. Yeah. Uh, And I just sort of ran with that. Yeah, now as an adult, you're probably more aware of some of the harmful stereotypes surrounding people that wear glasses and get good grades and that they shouldn't be villainized or outcast, but oh, I mean, none a... of my villains wore glasses or got good grades. It was just an archetype of that. I, I had my own definition for a nerd. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, as children, we're like not really yet tapped into like the bigger picture of things most of the time, <laughs> but yeah, that's it was, cool. It was just a cool word I heard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really fun. It was a really good memory. Yeah. So you went from comic books to the weekly newsletter called banana weekly to yep. what was the third chain in the link? Oh, uh, I'm writing novels these days. Yes. How many novels are you currently working on? Currently working on or have on the back burner? Those have are very the... different. <laughs> both. Both. Very different questions. Yeah, both. Um, right now I have one on the back burner and I suppose another one on the back burner that I haven't worked on in a very long time. Um, and then one that I'm really working on uh, in earnest, that's the Eleanor one. I, I know you're familiar with that one, but that's the story of somebody sort of surreally going through this world that keeps changing around them. Yes. Uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, metaphors. I've made a lot of jokes during the writing process about how I, you know, spilled the metaphor cup and it just soaked into the entire book. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, but I think it works really well because a lot of it is based on imagery and not just metaphor, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And from what you've shown me of the Eleanor book, I really, really love the writing style and all the different like elements and layers to the story are really, really, really intriguing. And I really enjoy it. And I can't wait for it to become like an actual thing that I can maybe buy on Amazon one day. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that's the hope. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I was going to go through the the traditional publishing route first, but if that doesn't work, you know, I think it'd be cool to find a vanity press, self-publish, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's also, like, 
micro publishers and like independent publishers around. You know, there's this in between. That's yeah. Yeah, would you, would your dream to be to have like a real hard physical copy of your book that you can distribute? That would be the dream, yes. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's this book or some book in the future, I I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Um and you're also an editor. Can you talk more about your work in editing? Yeah, so I actually got my start in editing by uh, proofreading fan fiction in high school. So essentially, I specialize in fiction, uh, fiction works. And what I usually do is, first of all, go through, uh, you know, spelling and grammar, that sort of thing, and then take notes on whatever story I'm reading. And then go through the notes again and try to find any weird inconsistencies I can pick out. Uh, You know, this guy is introduced and then only shows up for one other scene. Um, uh, Right now I'm actually reading a novel for my mom. Uh, She's writing a book at the moment. Uh, So a lot of it is, you know, going through and trying to find weird plot points uh, after the spelling and grammar is done. Yeah, yeah. So start with basics, just spelling, grammar, things that if somebody sees it and it's wrong, just won't look right. And then in a more artistic, creative level, is this character really important to the story? Does this particular plot point make sense? Is this description helpful or would there be a better way of describing something? That sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I kind of like the spelling and grammar bit more because I can zone out while doing work, you know, um, it's much easier. And though I do really like media analysis, it's one of the reasons why I got into this profession in the first place. Um, you know, it's still very hard work. Even if you like doing it, you're still doing hard work, uh, you know, and after a couple of hours of really trying to comb through something with a fine tooth comb uh it gets it gets tiring yeah <laughs> yeah for real and like even in major commercially released books people still find typos you know like they still make it through the cracks after going through a whole team of editors which is wild <laughs> oh yeah uh there's a there's a sort of saying that the best way to edit a book is to go through it, edit it once, and then release it and glance at a page later. <laughs> because that's when you always find mistakes, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and it's so sweet that you're doing that for your mom, too. Yeah. Um, you are also running a D&D campaign which I think is very, very cool and fun. And I know we've talked about it before on a personal level, but also yes. because Stranger Things just released their fourth season. Uh, if anyone's a Stranger Things fan on Netflix, you know that D&D is very much a popular part of that show. So I think it's just cool to um, be like, yes, this game does exist in this show, but it is also a very real thing that very many people actively do in real life as well. So can you talk some about um, that whole process, how you got involved as a DM? What is a DM, even for those who may not know, um, etc.? Yeah. So uh, I'm actually, right now, a both a player in one campaign and a dungeon master in another. So the way that Dungeons and Dragons work works is it's a it, it's basically a more formal way of just sitting down and making up stories with your friends. It's like make believe except there's rules, right? Yeah. Um so essentially whoever is the dungeon master is the person that runs the whole world. Um and your job is to keep track of all the places people might go to. And to sort of have a storyline loosely in mind, you don't want to plan too much because since you're working with other people, 
a lot of the times they'll surprise you, go off in entirely different directions. Anybody that's played Dungeons and Dragons knows that it's very hard to avoid going off the rails uh, <laughs> in a campaign. Um, and what but, is a campaign? Oh, oh, a campaign is basically a set of these stories strung together. So uh, uh, a session of Dungeons & Dragons is... Uh, the one that I play in is four hours long about. So you sit down for four hours, and you just sort of say what you're going to do, and the Dungeon Master tells you what's going on. Um, and then that's that's what the session is, and then the campaign is the larger story that ties everything in together. Yeah. So right now I'm running a campaign in a world called Avis, and we are nearing up on 50 sessions, so we've been running for about a year now. And we started off uh, with, our, with our adventures in a little town called Kirinelia, and the problems that they had to solve were things like uh, they came to the town and everybody's voices were taken away, and they had to go exploring, figure out what happened, and then find a way to fix everything. Um, and at this point, we've been playing long enough that the problems have moved up to trying to stop the second occurrence of this giant meteor that's going to smash into the world. There was another one a hundred years ago, and it wiped out this, uh, this civilization that ruled half the world, and now it's going to happen again. And so they're trying to figure out a way to stop that. Um, and as a player... Your job is basically just to have a character in mind and interact with the world around you. There is not a lot of limits as to what's possible to do in D&D, which is, I think, one of the reasons why it appeals to creative types so much. Um, because if you've got a weird way of like solving a problem that you know nobody else has thought of at the table you can ask the dm if you can do it and you can maybe do it uh, it's a lot less restrictive than a computer game where if the developers didn't think of it it's impossible to do you know yeah totally and how much of your experience playing dnd is more story based and character based versus like action based, like rolling dice and battling things. Uh, the campaign that I run and the campaign that I play with, I, I play with a lot of the same uh, people in real life. Um, they are very much story based. A lot of the stuff that we do is just conversations that they're having with people. Uh, they skipped like an entire fight that I had set out because <laughs> the characters just showed up, sat down to talk with the villain, and laid out a convincing set of arguments about why he sh why he should stop. Uh, and I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense that he would that he would believe those reasons." And so they didn't fight at all. Yeah, um, I understand that's a bit unusual for Dungeons and Dragons groups. A lot of people like the, the fighting. A lot of the mechanical things in the game are based around fighting. So, you know, people build their characters around that. Yeah. Uh, but like I, like I mentioned before, it's a very open game. Uh, possibly the most open kind of game there is aside from something like Calvin ball, um, where you can do or say anything. What is that? Oh, Calvin Ball? It's the game where the only rule is that there's no rules except the ones that you make up. Is that a group game? Is that a computer game? No, that's a that's a game in real life. Oh. A bit of a joke game. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's from Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, wait, I love those comics. Yeah, okay, the only on. rule is you can't use the same rules twice in a row. That's or not, <laughs> not twice in a row, just twice in general. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So, 
um, my understanding, if I have this correct, let me know. Um, as a D&D player, you assume the role of one character and you have a bunch of stats like personality, strengths, weaknesses, battle stats, etc. Yeah, and um, generally you want to you also want to have a an idea of how your character uh, a backstory like yeah, where your character is coming from in uh, how they interact with the world, like what their upbringing was like, what kind of a person they are, that sort of thing. Got it. And then as the dungeon master, you're kind of like the overlord of the whole story. You're 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 playing the role of all these minor characters that influence the story, but you're also um narrating and running any battles, etc. Is that correct? Yep. Nice. Fun. Um and just for any Stranger Things fans out there, I'm talking to like the the two people listening to this podcast that may have seen Stranger Things. <laughs> um, in Stranger Things, there are villains that include a Demogorgon, a Mind Flayer, and someone named Vecna. And these are all... D&D inspired characters. Yes, do those sound familiar to you? Yep, those are all characters from D&D. And what does Vecna do? Um, I'm actually not that familiar with like the D&D lore, you know. Oh. The stuff that the the official material covers. Um, so I couldn't tell you what Vecna does. Uh Basically, all of the D&D material that I interact with is all made up by the people playing it. So the, the D&D lore, so to speak, that I interact with is lore that I've made and nobody outside of our group would really be familiar with. Okay, okay. So what I'm getting is that there's sort of like different ways to play D&D. You can make up your own stories with your own rules and your own setting or you can kind of go off of like historically what's been used um in the past and like the D&D manual is the, is there a D&D manual There are quite a few D&D manuals Got it uh, Got A it. lot of them cover like different settings that you can use um there's there's a lot of add-ons that sort of give special special additions to the rules yeah. So sort of more cool stuff you can work with. Uh, but in general, a lot of Dungeons & Dragons, the printed material is just a framework that the people playing can work around. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think um, I've never played D&D before, but I think that if I were to play it, I would have more fun with just creating your own characters and plot devices rather than like strictly following a manual that sounds a lot more exhausting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, and a lot of people do have more fun with that. I'm definitely an improv dungeon master, so I do a lot less planning and a lot more thinking on my feet than most people that DM do. Um, I do a lot more, you know, sort of thinking on my feet and just making stuff up on the spot than most people do. Um, but some people just like having that framework to fall back on or, or that established lore to fall back on that they can use. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and, and just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with that either. Of course. Of course. Just different styles of playing the game. Yeah. I'm not staking a claim in the, the homebrew versus lore debate. Yes. (laughs) Uh, it's like, do we play Monopoly by the official rules, or do we allow things like pass, go, get five? Or wait, what is it? I think um, I've always played Monopoly where if you land on go, then you get whatever's in free parking. But I think that's just a house rule. Is that correct? That's I might a be... house rule. What? Yeah. That is a house rule. Yeah, when I when I um, first heard that, that same, blew my mind. Same with the house rule where you don't have to buy any property you land on. Did what? you know that that's actually a house rule? 
Wait, you're required to buy a property if you land on it in the official rules? Yep, if you don't buy it, it goes up for auction. What? <laughs> Never played yep. Monopoly like that. I know, nobody does. That's the thing. <laughs> but it's in the official rules. Wild. Unless they've changed it. Yeah, who knows? They're like, ah, nobody nobody plays it this way, so let's just change the official version. Who knows? Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. wild. But it's been a long time since I've played Monopoly, so Yeah. Obviously Monopoly and D and D are very, very, very different. Monopoly you might finish a game in four hours versus D and D you might play a single campaign for like you said, what, two years? One year? One year is the one that I've been going for. And yeah, we're yeah. actually getting towards the end. Um, I'm putting together an entire diorama with my friend uh, for the final battle. Uh, we've got, you know, a giant meteor in the center, uh, and then we're putting lights inside of it that light up, and I, I can, you know, control how it looks depending on what's going on in the battle. Um, and we're setting up terrain uh, and all sorts of things. So it's going to be a great time when we, oh, when we finish. That's really fun. You mean like a, a miniature, like like model like physical thing that you're actually building for the final final event that's right which actually reminds me i need to go chip off a bunch of rock from the <laughs> cliff that i need live near <laughs> oh don't mind me i just have to go chip rocks off that's amazing that is the best thing i've ever yep, heard it's next to a highway too so a lot of people are going to see me doing it <laughs> that's awkward <laughs> Which, but, you know, honestly, that's a good thing. I yeah. I like the spectacle. Hey, I met uh, a dude in Nashville uh, a few weeks ago who told me that he had gone around to places along roads where, um, you know, in order to build the road, they had to cut away a bunch of the rock. And he used that as an opportunity to go scouting for, for cool rocks and geodes and stuff. And so he's just like on the side of the road, like digging around and chipping away at the rock. So, yeah, I love it. Just if there's. I actually took a course on Minnesota bio, uh, Minnesota geology. So I am academically qualified to go find cool rocks in my state. That's awesome. I love that. That's really cool. Before we move off the D&D subject, I would also like to say there's other systems than Dungeons and Dragons. It's a whole genre of games. Um, I, I think just playing Dungeons and Dragons is cool, but I find that it can be, uh, fun to sort of explore different settings. There's one called Cyberpunk that I've been meaning to run, Uh. where it's, well, it used to be set in the future. Uh, it was made in the 1980s and set in, I believe, the 2010s? I'm probably wrong on that. Um, but they've been updating the year, um... Basically, so you know, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 came out the video yeah. game. Uh, it was very bad. Uh, I- I'm exaggerating, it wasn't actually that bad, but it, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't as good as they were hyping it up to be. Uh, sure. but the role playing game that it was based on is very fun. Uh, it's essentially you know, uh, corporatocracy future where everybody has cyber implants, but it hasn't actually made people's lives better. It's just uh, exacerbated the income divide between rich and poor. And oh. you know, now, now people are forced to get implanted for their jobs. Oh. Yeah, I hope we're not headed towards that in real life. That would be kind of not, not great. Um, I hope so, too. That sounds like the bad future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but... uh, they call it a dystopia for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, out of uh, all the things you do creatively, so far we've talked about you're actively writing novels, um, yep. doing D&D, and editing. Which one, um, if any, stands out as like taking up the majority of your time or creative effort? Um, in terms of time... I would probably say editing, because that's my job. Uh, One of my jobs, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Like I said, I do horses, too. Um, In terms of creative energy, lately it's all been Uh, uh, D&D. Like you said before, like asking for more chapters from the novel, 
I've been putting a lot of my creative energy into D&D, and I think that's the reason why my novels slowed down a bit, is because I've had that outlet right there. Um, I think D&D is a lot of fun, because I get to uh, uh, flex my improv skills. It's kind of a skill I discovered I had and liked in the past couple of years, uh, which is kind of funny because that's when COVID hit and nobody could go outside and interact with each other. <laughs> so, you know, it's a weird time to discover that, oh, hey, I am pretty good at improvisation. Uh, yeah. Like some sort of theater kid. Right. Yeah, I think that's really awesome. I think just finding ways to express yourself and flex those creative muscles is a really good thing, a really healthy thing. Um, exactly. Do you want to talk about pride-related topics? Sure thing. It is Pride Month. It is uh, Pride Month. And I just set out my giant uh, gay pride flag and Ooh. my giant bi pride flag. Uh, both of which I have ironed, which, uh, by the way, if there are any gays out there, you should iron your pride flags. Yes. It's a very good idea. It looks, Please. it makes them look a lot better. Yeah. Do not, do not get it straight out of storage or straight out of the packaging and then just put it up like that. That doesn't work. A bunch of creases in it. You can't hang it up with a bunch exactly, of creases. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Actually, okay. a bit of a, a bit of a funny story. See, I warned you I would be diverting a lot. <laughs> um, a bit of a funny story. Uh, when the Ukraine invasion happened, my, uh, my the, the college that I was working at and also going to school at uh, put up a Ukraine flag on their... They've got a, a flag wall, like a flags from all around the world. They put up a Ukraine flag, and you could tell that it was definitely the latest one they put up because all the other ones were perfectly ironed and then just the Ukraine one had all the all the folded creases in it. Aww. Come on, guys. Do better. Support Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta iron that Ukraine flag. Yeah. Uh, but yes, pride tip number one, iron your flags. They will look yes. a lot better. Yes, that's Represent awesome. us well, you know. Yeah, so how do you identify currently? Um, ooh, how granular do you want to get? As uh, granular I, as you feel comfortable disclosing. Fair enough. Uh, I identify as demi-bisexual, and I am currently in a straight-passing relationship, so... Uh, that would be my identification. I guess relationship isn't part of identification, but it could be. It could be. It depends. Um, I think that's that's important information for what I imagine we're about to discuss. Sure, sure. Um, so, so demi bisexual for someone who has never heard of that particular combination, can you explain what that means? Yes. Um, so the bisexual part means that I am broadly uh, attracted to people regardless of gender. Uh, there is some discourse regarding bisexual versus pansexual, uh, uh, which I choose to ignore, ignore entirely. I chose bisexual because it is uh, it has better colors, and if I were to date a non-binary person, I would immediately just change my self-identification. From, uh, the from distinction bi is Exactly. The, the, the distinction to me is basically nothing between bisexual and pansexual. Um, uh, the demi part of that is part of the ace umbrella. So I am only sexually attracted to people that I am also romantically attracted to. Yeah, nice. So you're probably less yeah. likely to just... I mean, I know obviously you're in a relationship, but if you weren't, in theory, right. you still probably would not choose to go out to a bar and just hook up with somebody you just met. Probably that would be unlikely for you because you would not feel that attraction to somebody that you only just met. It, it is it is a thing I could like like physically do like yeah capable of doing you know I I could physically do that 
Um, I just wouldn't like get anything out of that, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't be a pleasant. <laughs> yeah. The, the way it's been explained to me, it's like the, the asexual spectrum is a huge umbrella and there's lots of different identities that fall within that spectrum. So you could be 100% asexual, meaning that you actually never have experienced sexual attraction of any kind. Um, or you could be gray asexual, meaning like, well, you can think of like a few times in your life when you've experienced it, but still not not very frequently at all. Or demisexual, which, as you described, is when you are typically that that romantic attraction is a prerequisite to experiencing any sexual attraction. But other than that, just walking around day to day life, your experience is pretty similar to just someone who's straight up asexual because it's not like you're walking around developing romantic crushes on everyone you see. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe in, maybe in middle school, but these days <laughs> uh, I'm a bit more selective when yeah. the, when the hormones are, are raging. <laughs> hey, sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, um, yeah, no, no, I got you. I got you. Um, and then briefly going back to the, uh, bisexual versus pansexual topic of discussion. Um, the way I've heard it is um, there are very, very, very similar identities. Uh, bisexual is a lot more like commonly used, understood. It has more historical precedent. Bisexual could be, it's a misinterpretation, but it could be interpreted as you're only attracted to two genders, which could be interpreted as exclusionary to non-binary people and those who don't fall into the typical gender uh, binary in the first place. Um, but probably most bi people would say, no, it's just like you're, you're attracted to multiple genders um, unless they're just like you know transphobic or something. <laughs> exactly. I have yet to meet uh, any other bisexual person who uh, chose the label because they're not attracted to non-binary people. Uh, for everyone else that I've met that has you know a similar identity, it's because you know it's the word that they identify more closely with because it's what they've been, it's what they've heard. Yeah. Um, or, you know, in my case, I like the flag better. Us gays care a lot about uh, color theory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I definitely can vouch for the, the bisexual flag being the uh, most aesthetically pleasing pride flag out of any of the ones that i've seen oh easily um i'm actually a, a gender abolitionist so you know i think the distinction between bisexual and pansexual is not even a thing that exists or, yeah, so or will exist in the how do you um how do you identify gender wise uh i identify as a, a cis male um, pronouns he, they, because I don't care. Uh, I think you listed it at the beginning. I, I guess a bit of a faux pas for not for me to not uh, introduce my pronouns at the beginning. But like I said, I don't really care. So, you know, whatever people use. Yeah, so um, he, they, can you describe what that means for someone who may not be familiar? Um, so if you're talking about me, uh, behind my back, as opposed to, uh, to <sighs> my face, uh, you would say, uh, oh, him, you know, when referring to me yep. or, or them. Right. Um, yep. uh, as a, as an editor, I, I have a bit of, uh, you know, academic, a weight to throw around to say that uh, singular they is a thing that has a lot of historical precedent. So I, I don't think it's like a new thing to, to, you know, refer to people by they, if you are just 
talking about them casually. Uh, and of I course. think basically all English speakers do this anyways. Yeah, like especially if you don't know the person that you're talking about. Like, oh, I wonder if, exactly, if, exactly. if the, the garbage collection truck came yet. I wonder if they stopped by yet. They just referring to the person who, the singular person who drives the garbage truck. You know, yeah, or like, oh, uh, I should go contact the administrator. They would know, you know, if it's yeah. just, you know somebody online and you don't know their gender. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, it, and gender doesn't matter in that uh, interaction unless not. something's very wrong. With the, <laughs> the administrator's gender would not come into play there. Yeah. Um, one way that I have heard it described sometimes. Tell me if this this is how you, if this is what works for you or not. Um, some people who go by like she they or he they, um, will prefer to when you're talking about them, you know, in the third person, uh, to say both pronouns within the same thought, basically. So, like as an example. If I was talking about you and your D&D campaign, um, the example would be, well, I had John on my podcast to talk about his involvement in D&D and their work as a dungeon master. It was really interesting to hear how they put together all these characters and overlapping storylines, and I was really impressed by him. I'll I'll be honest, I've never heard somebody specify that they preferred to be referred to in that way. That seems like a really convoluted way of using gendered pronouns. Um, I think that the best pronouns are ones that are sort of uh, uh, intuitive to use. Yeah. Um, so, you know, single syllable is where it's at, I think. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, the best, the best pronouns would be ones that you use without thinking. Right. Yeah. Cause I had um, to make a really conscious effort to like switch between he and they, <laughs> that did not, not. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of mental real estate being taken up by a pronoun. Exactly. Um, and like I said, like gender abolitionist. So ideally it would take up zero space. Uh, you know, in the in in the in the thinking capacity, I, I think there's some neo pronouns that can get a bit confusing with how they're used. A lot of them are are fine for the most part. You know, um, I think they is a really good thing to use, uh, like a gender neutral pronoun when you don't know a person's pronouns. Uh, and I've never ever ran into a trans person where you know you use they for them and they're like no that's wrong because sure. <laughs> it, it's a it's a good neutral baseline yeah exactly um obviously if somebody says like hey i prefer this pronoun uh you know you'd use that but like the default of they is is a good one to use whenever you're talking to uh trans people and to be honest I think the way a lot of people use pronouns is they just assume, and then if they're corrected, they switch to whatever it's corrected to. Or um, if they're bigoted, they don't switch. <laughs> well, right. In, uh, if, if you have some objection to pronouns, yeah. um, then you probably don't know what a pronoun is. <sighs> Because uh, it's incredibly hard to make a sentence without using them. Exactly. Um, I just used them without even thinking about it. For example. <laughs> um, yeah. But but yeah, I think I think that's how most people interact with pronouns is they just sort of take a guess depending on what somebody looks like, and if sure. they get corrected, then they use that, and that's. I, I think that's going to work with like 99% of the people that you meet, maybe more, maybe like 99.99%. Yeah. I mean, I think it's still good to normalize introducing yourself with pronouns and um, also just in a professional setting, 
putting pronouns uh, in your email signature. And if you're ever like wearing name tags to put your pronouns on your name tag, um, I think it's good to just make it custom, common, like you don't even think twice about putting your pronouns by your name or when you're being introduced. Uh, so then it tears down the stigma of like, oh, well, only people who you might not be able to guess their pronouns have to then introduce themselves. And then like, they feel worse about it. Cause then it's like this whole big thing. And I, I think, um, yeah, I think just the society is slowly, but moving in the right direction. So, well, I, I think this is actually a pretty interesting thing to talk about because we're at a particular time in terms of linguistic development, like the way that language language is changing right now. Because right now, the 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 way that people are sort of expected to use pronouns, the polite way to do things, is in the process of being decided. So the the ground rules haven't really been set yet because we're very early on in trans acceptance. And I think it'll be very interesting to see how that changes. Yeah. Um, you mentioned sort of name tags and use in professional settings. And I think that that's, uh, in my opinion, that's a, that's a fine way of using them. Um, in terms of using pronouns when you talk to people like when you introduce yourself um i don't know if that'll stick around or or become sure. common practice because that can get a bit unwieldy um and like i mentioned earlier a lot of uh, uh what might lubricate uh trans acceptance or use of pronouns is just making it easy and intuitive you know people don't want to think about it and to be honest i don't think a lot of trans people want other people thinking about their gender presentation. I know, especially like binary trans people, a lot of, uh, most of the time they just want to be seen as no different from a cis person of that gender, except maybe like with their doctor, right? They just want to see, sure. you look at them, oh, that's a woman. Um, yeah. or, or, oh, that's a man. And uh, I've seen people talk about a lot of the times that they actually prefer to have people assume their pronouns because um, it's sort of an empowering thing, yeah. right? Um, you know, uh, if somebody just goes, hey, miss, ma'am, and like you're a trans woman, uh, that's an empowering thing. But at the same time, uh, where non-binary people fit into like that social model is a bit more difficult. So I think it's, I think it's something that we as a society collectively have to have to sort of think about and decide on. Yeah. Um, like I like I keep mentioning though, I am a gender abolitionist. So my uh, my eventual hope is that like gender doesn't really mean anything eventually, and we all just sort of present the way we want to present. Uh, and like gender as a concept with all the all the roles that come with it isn't really a thing. Yeah. I might be inclined to agree with you on that. <laughs> um, just this whole idea of, oh, we socialize girls this way and boys this way, and boys get the monster trucks and the superheroes, and girls get the get the Barbies and the dolls, and it just seems like really unnecessary to me. Yeah. Concerning non-binary people, I think... Uh, removing that distinction between the genders, that, that sort of expectation, would oh, go yeah. a long way towards helping non-binary pe people as well. Um, because a lot of the times what makes people feel uh, or, or identify as non-binary is, of course, that they don't fit into the two gender roles, right? But if we make those gender roles more open and inclusive, I think a lot more people would be feel comfortable... Um, uh, uh, as non-binary. Yeah. Yeah, totally agreed. I mean... Mm -hmm. Or, or in... even just, like, happier binary 
gender people. You know? Sure. Because <laughs> they're less expected to fit into a certain mold of their gender. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was wondering how has your identity, which is not straight, how has that influenced at all your work writing or editing or D&D? The most obvious way that it's affected my work is that I've wrote like school papers on it. So, you know, I did a, a queer analysis of a short story called Drinking Coffee Elsewhere. Uh, and part of the story revolves around like a lesbian awakening uh. that the main character kind of represses in the end. Um, but in terms of how that's influenced my, you know, fictional work, uh, a lot of the Eleanor's story, I, I mentioned it's like, oops, all metaphor, right? You know, Captain yeah. Crunch, it's all metaphor. <laughs> um, a lot of that metaphor has to do with, you know, exp uh, finding yourself and exploring how you fit into the world and how other people want to fit, uh, want you to fit into the world. Um, and so a lot of the time, the, the sexual identity that I have is what's informing that writing. Yeah, it's about finding your place, not fitting into roles. Um, you've, you've read the book. There's a lot of times when the very few other characters that there are, or Eleanor herself, are pressuring her into, uh, like, accepting a certain status quo, right? Yeah. Um, so just lying down, accepting the way things are. Uh, and just learning to live with that, right? Uh, and throughout the book, she she rejects that. Uh, obviously, you know, it would be a very boring book if at one point she's like, yeah, all right, I'll just stay here, I guess. Really <laughs> um, but, but beyond that, you know, uh, uh, a lot of the book is about the character Eleanor discovering what she wants for herself. Yeah, I love that. Um does does Eleanor identify in a particular way? Um or is that a spoiler? Oh no, that's not a spoiler. I think I mentioned at, uh, to you personally at one point, not during this conversation okay. uh, for the audience. Um that she's asexual. Yeah. Although that doesn't especially that it doesn't come up in the story. The story is written so that the reader can get what like like whatever their experience sure. has been uh and project it onto the story and maybe uh uh find out some aspect of uh that part of themselves that they hadn't realized before. Um which is all, you know, very flowery language to say she does a lot of exploring and some wild stuff happens to her. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah. And if you want to interact with it on that level, too, it's it's got that as well. Yeah, totally. It's not like, well, you see, if you if the story only makes sense if you go through and you... Uh, and, and you, and you yeah. Place this with uh, sexuality, and then you you find the the three runes scattered. Like no, you don't. You don't have that. <laughs> all about the Easter eggs. All about the Easter eggs. Um, yeah, it, it more informs how I write the story. And personally, I think if I actually did write a story that was all metaphor and made no sense on a, a literal interpretation, that probably be a bad story right sure yeah it has to have some grounding That's in like... reality well thank you so much john this has been so much fun having you on and getting to talk about all this i think we're yeah, about absolutely. yeah i think we're about wrapping up because we've been talking for a bit over an hour i believe fun well this is the part of the podcast where i usually ask my guest if they have anything they would like to promote or where can people find them on social media. But my understanding 
from knowing you is that you're not really active on social media all that much. So is there anything you would like to promote? Goblin. I am some sort of goblin that is not online that often. Um, whew, I gotta think. I suppose the only thing I would really be promoting would be my novel, of course. Um, and no, I, d- I don't have a lot of social media. I imagine once I start, you know, nearing the finish line and trying to promote my book, that'll change. But at the moment, I don't really have anything to promote. Uh, oh, uh, oh, monster, my monster, uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm involved in that. I'm the writer. That's pretty cool. There you go. A monster dating sim. That's <laughs> <laughs> if any of your audience is interested in that, uh, it's an ongoing project that I've been uh, been the lead writer on. I have no idea if it'll get finished at some point, but it's been a fun time writing it, and I know at some point they were posting some fun stuff on Twitter. Amazing. So it's a monster dating simulator game, and they have a Twitter page where they post updates? It is at O-M-M-M game. That is three M's. At O-M-M-M game. Yes. Oh, there it is. My monster. Yep. Nice. They have 393 followers. That's not nothing. Yes, they do. I I have no idea what kind of SEO magic they did to get that following. I have never been good (laughs) at social media. Yeah. Uh, Amazing. Uh, Fun. Well, um... looks like Blast Post was in 2020. Um, (laughs) Like I said, I don't run the social media page. I just do the writing for it. Yeah. Um, Um, I imagine if, if you were to message them, they would respond, though. Okay. That's nice. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, what do you see? What do I see? What do you see? Like, like physically? Yes. <laughs> Let's see. I have my beautifully ironed pride flags hanging yeah. up in the window. Um, I see a bunch of poster board that I've been using to make postcards. I, I sent you one. Yes, you did. It was great. I love. I don't know it. if I sent you one of the custom ones. I think it was. They're very. Written? They're very distinct because I just cover them in stickers. <laughs> no, I did get the one with lots of stickers. Yeah, that was really cool. All right, good, good, good. Uh, those are the fun ones to make. Uh, let's see. I see a picture of Eleanor that my girlfriend drew for me. For my birthday. That's pretty cool. Um, Let's see. Uh, I see a vacuum in the corner. I've been vacuuming. Got to keep up on that. I have hardwood floors, so it's, it's, you know, it's embarrassing when people or when uh, when, when people walk through my floors and their feet end up dirty. So so I've been keeping up on, you know, sweeping and vacuuming. Good, good, good. Um, Gotta keep up on that. Yes. And I see a an Allosaurus and a T-Rex model that I have painted as, to look like a penguin. <laughs> That's that so cool. That was my parting gift from set crew once I graduated. Nice. I love that. Thank you for sharing all those little, little details. It gives me a picture of the mental picture of the space that you're in because i can't obviously see you right now because we're just on the phone um yeah absolutely yeah i have of course edited out all of the mess (laughs) (laughs) um yeah just imagine it clean and i see um uh my exercise ball and my bass guitar and the windows that are fogged up that my landlords were just looking at to be like hey how are we gonna fix these windows that are permanently fogged up on the inside of the window pane it's very bizarre Uh, i guess they're just really old windows and there's not really a good way to fix it except um kind of just replace the window (laughs) (sighs) but yeah that's what i see um well 
Uh, that'll be it. Thank you again so much. Have a good rest of your evening. For anyone who's listening, we will be back next week with, fingers crossed, a another guest for Pride Month. I just really like doing this series because I like branching off and talking about things that may be related to music and creativity, but just focusing on Pride for for this month has been a really refreshing experience. So, yeah, thank you all for bearing with it, and... Until next time, bye bye. And let me know if you want me on again because this has been a great time. Of course, I would love to have you back. Yeah. Yep. Bye, everybody. Bye.